It is Missions Month, as you know, at ECC, and we've entitled it God's Mission in Our World for the Month, and we have a variety of missionaries who are coming through to be a part of us, and, and today we focus on a passage in Romans, which goes back to the beginning, and the passage or the phrase that we're focusing on is the power of the gospel. Because when Paul introduced his book to the Romans, he introduced it with these words. At the very beginning, he told them, I want to make something clear to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. It sounds a little bit like what Paul said later on in, in another book. And what I mean by later on is just in the sequence of our books. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is walking yet again into another place by letter. It's under the influence of Rome and a variety of religions. And he says in that context, I want to tell you something else about Jesus Christ. This thing called the cross of Christ, this whole doctrine of the resurrection, this whole thing called the gospel, the good news, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's, it's foolishness to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. That God, the person of God in the flesh would come to earth and be man and also be God. Absolutely outrageous. Absolutely beyond comprehension. Mere foolishness and really a denigration of God himself. So when Paul writes to any number of people, when he writes to these places in Rome, he knows the gospel sounds a little bit odd to people. But he wants people to understand he is absolutely not ashamed of it because it is the power of God. So one might rightly ask, Paul, what do you mean when you say the gospel is the power of God? What does that mean? Well, let's think about what Paul said through Romans and through the other epistles concerning that question. What is the power of the gospel? He says it right up front at the beginning of the book of Romans in the first two chapters. He said the power of the gospel is this. The power of the gospel is salvation from the wrath of God. He begins by talking about the wrath of God that comes on people because of their own foolishness, because of their own stupidity, because of their own sin. He's not talking about the wrath of God that's going to come down in a gigantic tornado or a lightning bolt and strike people for not following God. He's talking about the kind of wrath of God that comes on all of us because we're so foolish and turned inward that we literally destroy ourselves from the inside out. That's the wrath of God, says Paul, and the gospel saves you from it. Of course, there's another wrath of God that he speaks on occasion about as well, and that is the wrath of God. God is going to come, and he's going to judge all sin. He's going to bring an end to calamity to, in a calamitous way to sin and Satan and the kingdom that's against the kingdom of God. That's going to be the wrath of God. It's going to be apocalyptic. And the gospel, which is the power of God, is powerful because it redeemed you from that wrath. You can't redeem yourself from God's wrath. God is too big and too powerful and too righteous and too just and too almighty for you to dodge the wrath of God. But the gospel, the power of God, redeemed you 
saves you from the wrath of God. Second thing, says Paul, that makes the power, the power of the gospel so remarkable. This power of the gospel actually redeems you from slavery. You see, says Paul, in Romans chapter 6 especially, you were slaves to sin. You were slaves to Satan. You were slaves, he even says on one occasion, to the law. You were under the oppression of something else. Something was ruling you. It was sin. It was Satan. It was your inner nature that drove you away from God. And the power of the gospel is this. When it's proclaimed and when you listen and when you accept, you are freed from the master of, sla of slavery to sin. You know, it's easy, isn't it? For us to think of slavery as it relates to an outside master. As a matter of fact, first century people would have been well aware of the image that he uses concerning slavery because in Rome, the majority of the people, get this, the majority of the people in Rome were slaves. Majority. So everybody understood slavery, either as a master or as a slave, and even those who were masters understood the slavery of another master that was higher up the rank than them. They understood slavery. They understood serving masters. And Paul says, you are slaves to sin and to Satan and to ungodliness and wickedness. You're under the oppression, the, the slavery to sin. And the power of the gospel redeems you from that slavery. You're redeemed by the grace of God. That wouldn't have been so hard to understand. Except when Paul tries to help them to understand and us to understand that the slavery is not just external. The slavery is internal. The slavery is us. We are slaves to self, slaves to pride, that kind of sin. That's a little harder to accept because we like things the way they are. We actually happen to like our sins. And we like the freedom to choose our sins. We like the freedom to pursue our own way. We actually like the freedom to be prideful. We like the freedom to be self-centered. Because it's all about us. And Paul, in effect, says that's slavery. You've got your understanding of freedom all turned upside down. Freedom is not the ability to choose what is wrong. Freedom is not the ability to do what you want because what you frequently want to do is not in your best interest. Freedom, true freedom, says Paul, is to be redeemed or taken away from the slavery to self and to sin and to be able to serve God. That's true freedom. Not being able to choose sin but being able to choose God. And that's the power of the gospel, says Paul. When you understand it, when it invades your life, you begin to realize that you've got another master. You no longer need to serve sin and Satan. You serve Jesus Christ. Huh. What a loving master. Not a master of wishes to rule you, or control you or use you but a master who loves you more than you love yourself who knows you better than you know yourself 
and demonstrated his love by dying for you. You've got the freedom to serve a new master. That's the power of the gospel. So the power of the gospel is not only freedom from and redemption from sin and salvation from wrath. The power of the gospel actually pronounces you as a different person. It pronounces you as a new creation in Christ Jesus, Paul says. And in other words, he says, it actually pronounces you as citizens of another kingdom. You take, it, take a look at Philippians chapter 3. It puts it very succinctly, beginning in verse 19 along in there. It says you actually are citizens of another kingdom. You're awaiting the coming of the kingdom of God, the completion of the kingdom of God in heaven. Or to put it in the words of, say for instance, Peter. You're a stranger and a pilgrim in this land. Yes, you live here, but this is not your final home. The spectacular renovation project that God is a part of in this present world, the culmination of all things, that's your home. As a matter of fact, when you live in this present world, says Paul, you're living in a parallel universe. You're living a part of an invisible kingdom. The only thing that's visible about it, not the king. You can't see him. The only thing that's invisible about this kingdom, you want to see it? Turn around. I'm looking at it. It's the citizenship of the kingdom of God in this present world. And every one of you, as citizens, are going to leave this place in about 45 minutes. I'm not going to preach that long. About 45 minutes. And you're going to walk into the visible reality of the kingdom of this world as invisible citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to be salt and light. And you're going to live in a parallel universe. And you are the power of the gospel. You know, there's something remarkable about this story so far. That you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. That you're a citizen of another kingdom. But there's something else that you know is true. And i got to remind you of. The power of the gospel is not just about citizenship and, and being redeemed from slavery and, and sidestepping the wrath of God. It's about eternal life. Because that's the heart of the gospel. That's what the resurrection is all about. Every one of you woke up this morning breathing. And as you woke up this morning, you were that many more breaths away from death. That many more days closer to your final resting place. You're going to die just like me. And the power of the gospel is the great reversal. It says that death which is absolutely inevitable for all of us, is reversed in the eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord, which is coursing through your veins as a follower of Jesus Christ. You will be raised. Death, I love, this is one of the images I love more than any in the scripture. Death has been swallowed up in victory. I mean, think about it. It's a reverse of everything we know because death swallows us up. The grave swallows each one of us. 
And Paul uses that idea. And he says it's the reverse of that. Jesus Christ's resurrection has swallowed up the grave. It's swallowed up death. So death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You got nothing on us. We're children of the living God. Our future is eternal. That's the power of the gospel. Unbelievable. But I would fail if I didn't mention one last thing. It actually comes at the end of the passage that we read. You know what's even more incredible than that? All of this comes to you simply by faith. You can't earn your way to God. You can't be fast enough or smart enough to avoid the wrath of God. You can't be good enough to avoid your own slavery to sin. You can't be smart enough to figure out who God is, where he is, and how to get to him. There's no moral ladder to Jesus Christ, to God himself. You can't get there except by simple surrender and faith. That's it. Lord, I give up. I turn my life to you. I believe. And you inherit the power of the gospel. Amazing. When you inherit the power of that gospel, it's not just forgiveness of sins, although that's dramatic, that's wonderful. It's that you enter into a covenant relationship with the living God. To use the old words of a hymn, a relationship where he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. That's the covenant relationship that we enter into by faith in Jesus Christ. You know what's more remarkable than that? is that the covenant relationship is final. Nobody can take it away from you. Death can't snatch it. The covenant relationship with you that you have with your Lord is yours forever. And you don't need the mediation of sacrifices, as the author of Hebrews tells you. That's gone Jesus made the ultimate complete sacrifice. You don't need the mediation of priests. That's gone. You have an immediate access to God the Father through Jesus Christ based on his sacrificial atonement for you. And it's for your life. Here's another thing. This would have been stunning to them. You don't have to have a family pedigree. Religion came linked with families. You had a religion because you were born into it. And Paul says the power of the gospel is this. It's for everyone, for the Jew and also for the Greek. It makes no difference to what family you were born in, what your background was. The power of the gospel is available to you. You don't have to come from a particular tribe or a particular race, or a particular nation. Being a female doesn't disqualify you. 
You say, well, that's a no-brainer. wasn't to them. Being a slave doesn't disqualify you? Well, of course not. It was news to them. You know what's one of the remarkable things about early Christian communities? Is that people who were absolutely powerless, without influence, as slaves, become elders and deacons and bishops in the church. This parallel kingdom of God looks like no other. It's open to everyone. No wonder he wasn't ashamed of it. If you embrace it, how could you be? And it's the universal gospel for today. Ryan mentioned that the gospel is bigger than what you might call traditional evangelism. And it certainly is. It's broader than that. But every one of you, every one of you who follows Christ is in his or own her way an evangelist and a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people are really gifted at sharing the gospel. I, I, I don't mean to make people feel uncomfortable, but my friend Brandon, he could share Jesus with somebody. And they would say, thank you. I could share the same Jesus, and they would say, okay, dude, I don't think I need him. Seriously. I, I've watched it happen before. Some people just have a marvelous gift of evangelism. But every one of us is a missionary and an evangelist where we are. We are. You're a missionary and an evangelist if you're teaching children. If you're a professor at this university, a professor in Lahore, Pakistan, if you're a business person in this community or beyond, if you're a mother, a father, a daughter, a son, a cousin of somebody who needs to hear, you're a missionary. And because you're different, your approach is going to be different. Your approach will just be not the same as mine or my friend Brandon, but it'll be you. You know what will be the same, though? The power of the gospel is in you. Live it. Share it. And watch it explode and expand the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for inviting us into this kingdom, for taking our limited abilities and compared to the bigness of this message, they certainly are limited, and using those limited abilities to proclaim your word. We thank you, Lord, for accepting people who are not perfect. We thank you, Lord, for not allowing our stupidness and our sin to intercept your message. We thank you for allowing us to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. 
So we pray as we uh, walk through the back doors of our church, you will take us into our world to proclaim the good news, which is the power of the gospel. However timid or afraid we are, live through us, Lord, so that others might live. In your name we pray. Amen.